What's <laughs> Yo. God. I mean, Chris has, Chris has come on kind of. <laughs> what's, what's going on with you, Chris, man? You, you got some you got some energy tonight, man. He, 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 I think, last matter of fact, now I remember. Yeah, you was you was on that last time. I think he's still riding that Chicago Sky High, man. Dude, man, that 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 left, and I was <laughs> I was in the throes of it last week. Jo jo Josh and Kyle and Josh know I was not about it last week, and then we we got back to roller derby practice last Wednesday, and it was like okay, it was, yeah, it was better than the UV lamp, man. So that 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 energized me. The roller was an derby energizer, and then um. I will. I will fully admit that that Bulls game last night. I was like, "Ooh, let's not." I won't. I won't spoil the show. But man, well, I mean, yeah, that's gonna be part of the talk tonight, of course. Uh, though the Bulls have showed out in LA. I, some some saying they've made uh, the Staples Center the United Center West, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's hey. They, they, they all, they. Who, how many teams are gonna say they beat both the Clippers and, and Lakers in uh in that building this year? You know, I don't know, but the the Bulls definitely are looking back. You know, who, who's the first to say that? Well, Tim Hardaway last week, he, he that was the first person who said it. I think a lot more people are saying it after Which, uh, Monday's junior game. or senior, the junior because uh, after the Dallas game, he said the Bulls are back. Yeah. And, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, I think a lot more people are joining them and saying that now. And uh, this is, you know, we do the official intro. This is the Running with War show. Uh, another Tuesday, getting in the session here with the guys. Four, uh, four man boxing, boxing one in a minute. Hopefully with our guests, but uh, we doing the four corners right now. Uh, as uh, is Dean Smith. Doing Dean Smith proud, and um, you know Chicago man, we we getting it man. With the Bulls are getting it, you know the sky. We you know of course the champions, and the Bulls are looking like they're inspired to make a championship run. I don't know man. We how how you know can you blame anyone for projecting those things on the Bulls at this point now? You know ten and four start atop the East. You know, you, we look at, you know, that's one thing I want to talk about too later in the show. Some of these other teams that you think are contending that you think would be up where the Bulls are, they're not quite there right now. So, you know, it's it's pretty good to see that the Bulls are contending. You know, you got the two teams that are playing now on TNT. You know, they didn't look good against the, the Warriors, but they did beat those Nets, and the Nets are beating the Warriors right now. In process, uh, in progress in Brooklyn. So I mean, it's it's not as random as the NFL. Like you know, me and Drew talked about that yesterday, where the you know from week to week you don't know who the hell is good in the NFL right now. In the NBA, I think there's a better sense of who's who's hot and who's not. But it, at the at this at this point of the season, there's been a lot of transferring from the hot to not section. There's some not teams like the Bulls and the and the Wizards, who are suddenly hot after a long time of not being not, and a few a few teams like you know the Bucks, uh, who are not so hot right now, and the Lakers, you know, not so hot right now. So uh, there's still a lot to be uh, 
sorted out. But with what the Bulls have shown in these first games, the talent that they have and some of the deficits that they've had, team players that they've lost, you know, not having a full roster and uh, things like that, you know, it's it's pretty good to see that this team is still, in spite of those things, being successful and giving efforts like they've been giving. And, you know, we will project, we will, you know, predicting, trying to predict what's going to happen on this road trip, this West Coast road trip, sort of telegraphing it. And, you know, I, I spoke a little bit about trying to guard myself for disappointment, but there's really nothing to be disappointed in right now. You know, the Friday game against Golden State, again, wasn't that great. But since then, two good wins in L.A. I was worried about the back-to-back in L.A. They mastered that. Now they got a, a game coming up against a Portland team, which, you know, is so-so. And, you know, they'll have the Denver team coming up on Friday who should give some challenges, uh, especially the way that uh, uh, Nikola Jokic has been playing. But even if – you know, there's no reason why the Bulls shouldn't be a, a, a have a winning record on this trip, and I think having a winning record on this trip is more than you can ask for, and it would still leave the team with you know twice as many wins as losses uh, as as we go into Thanksgiving week. You know, who how many people would uh, would have uh, predicted that so as i give it to you guys you know what were your thoughts on the on the bulls right now coming out of these la games and you know uh, uh are you gonna be getting fitted for your uh <laughs> for uh are you gonna be getting getting your ring size set up for your uh your fake rings your, your... <laughs> <laughs> so i mean I'm, I'm not ready to take it that far but i will say that um having Going into the season thinking that the, the the ceiling for this team would be like a four seed and, and them hosting the first round playoff series and maybe getting out of that first round. I'm thinking now like that might be I might have short uh short changed them, man. Yeah. But everything you just said, the fact that they, they haven't had their full complement of players um to this point, they won't have it throughout the whole season because of Patrick's um injury. Yeah. Uh, you know, Vucevic still hasn't clicked offensively really. I think he's had a two or three kind of uh, games that you would expect to see from him. Kobe White just came back. Um, if for nothing else, the way that this team is playing defense, I think that's been, of course, the most surprising part of what we've seen. Um, but I think it, it, it also it speaks to um, the additions that Acme made this offseason, um, bringing in Caruso, especially Lonzo Ball, two guys that have played tremendous. Um, early season, all defensive team candidates, in, in my opinion. Um, and then you take that and you think about how they played offensively and what more they can be able to do. And if Vooch, if, uh, Vooch starts hitting shots like we know he's capable of doing, why can't this team challenge some of the, the better teams in the East? They've already beaten the Nets. They've already come back and beat Boston in Boston. They've beaten Utah. They've beaten two LA teams. Granted, there was no LeBron James. Um, there was no Kawhi Leonard, but they can't control that. They have to win these games as they come, and they have to they have to beat the teams as they are. Um, so I'm excited, man. I'm, uh, I kind of want to toss something out, but it might be too early in the show to do that. So I'll, I'll pocket it for right now. But um, interested to see what you guys 
what you guys are thinking. Yeah, man. I mean, I want to personally thank the Los Angeles Lakers myself for completely de- having a debacle in the recent reports that came out as far as, you know, they jagged on the Caruso deal. They could have had him back, but they did. They shortchanged him. And then to hear about DeMar DeRozan pretty much thinking this was going to be a done deal for him to come home, and they jacked that for us. I mean, they're probably looking at that, how we played them last night. I was like, dang, I don't know if we could. LeBron probably second-guessed that one. But um, overall, you, when you talk about championship aspirations, I mean, that's why you play in the professional leagues, right? You strive to win a championship. So it doesn't surprise me that we're putting championship expectations on a franchise that for the longest – should have been in a position where they are now to achieve that, especially coming from the history that we have. Um, this, it doesn't surprise me at all. But the fact that we can actually have living proof that it can be a reality. I mean, even before the show, um, in the pregame on TNT, Shaq pretty much said that this team could win a championship. He thinks that they have title aspirations, he had them down to win a championship. Um, he had, and I think Charles Barkley said, even though it was too early to call, he loves the way this roster is constructed to where they can make deep playoffs. So it's not just people that you know are fans on Twitter per se that are out here just putting these projections projections on people. And then the, the local media, people that have played in this league, um, and experts have also caught on to the to the to the to the, to the wave. Because I mean, you're talking about coming to the offseason where Rosen was supposedly voted as the worst signing in free agency and you're seeing how that is flipping on people's heads right now um, you, you see you see the hashtag the worst yes i did i i did and i and i and i also like how you know obviously adam amin and Stacey king love coming up with these new names and stuff they they come with the marvelous i love the marvelous like that's just <laughs> a beautiful term for me so the marvelous i'll call them the marvelous all day long but oh like i said overall like at the end of the day Seeing, I made a tweet last night about how Magic Johnson, if he was watching this game, would be disgusted because what the way the Bulls are playing right now is how he wanted the Bulls, the Lakers to play when they first had Lonzo and they first got LeBron. But that was his ideal uh, look of what they have: have super staff, two superstars, have a point guard in Lonzo that can push the ball, push the pace, and the way the Bulls are playing right now, I that's what Magic Johnson ideally wanted. Didn't come to fruition. Now to see that actually happening in Chicago, even though we don't have LeBron, we have Zach Levine, who's a rising 27-year-old scorer, all-star in this league. You pair him with DeMar DeRozan, who is seemed to be obviously a perfect match, made in heaven for this lineup. Lonzo Ball continued to improve on his game, especially that jump shot. We got to do something about that mid-range, though, because he's shooting, I think, 27% from the mid-range below. You got to work on that, but... The three-point jump shot to be shooting 42% from three at the rate of the volume of threes he's taking per game. Um, that's it's a that's a very exciting thing to see. And I think to add on to Drew's point real briefly, aside from the, the signings of Caruso and Lonzo Ball, we have to talk about the other signings, especially when you're talking about the improvements of Io and the, and to me, Derrick Jones Jr. He has been huge in these last couple of LA games. Um, when they went to that small ball lineup, especially when Tony Bradley didn't have it together, especially in the Lakers game. Tony Bradley seemed lost in the first half before he finally caught on. But Derrick Jones has really stepped up into that power forward type of role off the bench and really gave this team, the Bulls team a spark that really helped promote and push their runs the way that they did this past couple of games. So you got to give everybody everybody credit for sure, but 
some of these, these signings, especially the small ones like the Derrick Der, uh, Jones or Javante Green and those guys that give the spark and defensive efforts, most importantly, that the Bulls are looking for within their versatility. They, they're doing what they're supposed to do, and it's, a, it's an exciting thing to see. Our distinguished guest is on hold with us, Roland Lazenby, uh, best-selling author. Uh, before we go to him, uh, Chris, you got any thoughts? We're going we gonna to go in the Wayback Machine a little bit with him. So you got any thoughts, Chris, on the current Bulls before we do that? Yeah, they're exciting. Um, Drew, I, I don't know if I would shell four, four seed yet because – they beat. They had two. They've had good wins all year long. The comeback against Boston in Boston was a quality win. Uh, the game against the Nets, where they held a lead and, and just held it for the for, if not wire to wire, pretty much all the second half they stifled that team. They throttled the Lakers last night. Uh, they frustrated Anthony Davis, although the referees did some of that contributed to some of that on his part too. But they they got after them defensively. Uh, they swarmed. They were they were going after loose balls. They were making life difficult for shooters. Their defensive rotations were, were high quality. Those were great. And when you see Zach Levine running out to the three-point line um, on a rotation across the court, I mean that's 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 the those are the new bulls. However, they beat the Nets without Kyrie and with a James Harden who's still trying to figure out the new the new um, landscape of the NBA. They beat the Lakers without LeBron. Uh, they beat the Clippers without Kawhi. So you got to take those in, those things into account. Those guys are going to have better games, better days, especially when the playoffs come around. What's the state of the team going to be after playing a full season? So not only do they have to start like this, they have to keep it up for the majority of the season. The Bulls aren't a team that's gone deep in the playoffs and can afford to rest when they, you know, the way that the Warriors could or the Lakers could or even, I won't say Brooklyn because they have a little less margin for error, uh, but even if Milwaukee has that luxury, even though they haven't gotten off to the better start, the Bulls are going to have to be a team that shoots for the one or two seed if they have it in their sights and can't afford to just try and come to the finals from the middle of the pack. That's the one thing that does worry me. But they're competitive. They're definitely exciting. And I want to see how they do the rest of this road trip and then the road in uh, the winter, December and January. And I'm only and I'm not just saying that because I'm going to see them in New York against the, the Knicks and the Nets come December. <laughs> what, is, what is that, Josh? <laughs> we, we just work that in. You know? Yeah, you work that in real smooth. Josh, I'm just I'm trying to be like you, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to flex on the low low. <laughs> I mean, not to mention too, like half of your statement was promoting the Bulls for low key kind of dissing them as you're wearing your bull shirt. Like, just, on, no, no, I'm saying I'm I saying I, I'm saying they got to hold it up. Over the long term, that's all they gotta. They gotta make these same games count when the the rosters are more filled out for these for these pre premier teams. But this is definitely an exciting group that can get it done. They can get it done. It's it's, it's a measured take. I can appreciate that, man. For real. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's still some space. There's still some space for measured uh, takes and <laughs> what we do. So, but uh, yeah, good good start, for gentlemen. But uh, yeah, that's. I said, let's make this a full five-man rotation here with five, a great guest. Uh, first time on the Running With War show, but uh, my second time having him on war programming. My pleasure to introduce 
a best-selling author. I mean, if, has written some of the most talked about basketball books ever. Uh, Michael Jordan, The Life, Blood on the Horns, Mind Games, Showboat with uh, Kobe Bryant. I mean, just amazing, uh, amazing uh, list of books and accomplishments to his name. Mr. Roland Lazenby is with us. Give it up for him, y'all. Good evening, sir. How you doing, sir? How you doing, sir? Thanks. You guys doing like all said, right? Yeah, we're doing great, man. We appreciate uh, you coming on our little show. And, uh, I appreciate you, you know, asking me. Yeah, I, I know you. 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 I had a great time talking with you last year at the uh, right during the, the. Yeah, I guess it was during while while it was first showing the. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The the <laughs> the the so the so often to, uh, last dance documentary, and you gave so much great perspective on the Bulls of that time, and uh, you know. We we can't outrun this thing. It seems like you know Scottie Pippen has given us so much more deaths in regards to what you know the the cons what the consequences were or or the or you know I guess the the ripple effect of that series and this release and really the ripple effect of what they all did with each other and how they somehow made it through those years without you know knocking each other and uh, skulls in you know they they found some way to do it and and be successful as they were and but but you know, like I said what result from that it seems to have been a lot of resentment and and some under undercurrent of resentment and you know I don't know if it's envy or you know just whatever but you know, at this point has decided to let go of a lot of things and let and release a lot of things into the public that some things that we know of and, and expected because of past reporting, like what you've done and others, but a lot of unexpected ways to a lot of unexpected details. And, you know, I, the, the first thing I want to, I want to ask you is the, the thing that actually made me want to get you on the show is I saw a quote, uh, an excerpt that uh, was attributed to you, on, and it was a it was a it was a small story of how Scotty had lost a cat during the first uh, three P, and him and Horace Grant had chosen to mourn that and almost derailed the practice because of it. And Tex Winter had to get on the phone. Phone and yell at them to get to practice and not worry right, about actually, it. I think it was yeah. Johnny Bach. You know, John Tex would yell about Johnny basketball, Bach. but Johnny Bach would yell about everything else. But um, they were young guys, man. Okay. You know, that's uh, so it's so confirming you know, that is you, you didn't write that. It hurts, man. What'd you say? <laughs> I say you, you are confirming that you wrote that. I want to confirm right, that you wrote no, that. No, and uh, old school, Mark File was the Bulls trainer, and he told me that story. I wrote their team history back in 95, came out in 96, and it was sort of an oral history. All these guys telling stories, things like MJ pulling down Texas, uh, 
practice shorts and there was Texas bear butt hanging out of his jock strap. Uh, just all kinds of foolishness, but it wasn't a really <laughs> silly team. They, um, I, you know, I was fortunate to spend a good amount of time around those guys. And I know Scotty has anger now. He, he had some anger then, but it was nothing like this then. They couldn't have won any titles that they'd have been fighting over crap like this back then. And they were a great basketball team. Scotty, the greatest teammate probably in history. MJ was the meanest teammate. Everybody in the league <laughs> was scared to death of him. His own teammates were scared of him, and you know he pushed the agenda. And, you know, the- I I know they have some anger now, but you know that's uh, that that anger may be legitimate too. I'm I I I just all I saw was a lot of respect back then. Right, and that's what that's that's one thing that we've 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 already had several discussions about this, and discussions that we've had, discussions that I've heard from other commentators and such, have mostly stemmed from the fact that Jordan did give Pippen a lot of credit. Maybe in the general public, he didn't receive the he may have thought he deserved or should have gotten in any measure, any way you can measure it. But Jordan always, people have people have did and reposted videos. Like I've, I saw a video yesterday of him speaking right after the fifth championship in '97, and him basically laying everything out for Scotty, saying that I wouldn't done none of this with Scotty. Uh, I, you know, Scotty deserves as much money as I'm making and all, all that. And you know, I, I to another podcast today. Uh, where there was an audio excerpt of him at his Hall of Fame speech saying basically the same thing. So it's like there's example after example of Jordan basically saying that there would I wouldn't have reached the, the heights and success that I would have without Scotty Pippen. So whatever that else the that's played. The reason he was saying it is because it was obvious for everybody who was there in the building who – knew how to yeah. look at basketball that Scotty took tremendous pressure off of Michael and Scotty ran that team. Um, it's just, you know, the things they're angry over probably angry over. certainly are off the court and they're after the fact. The one thing hey, so I, I, I want to. I was going to say, Chris, well, I, I, I'll let you say it. Right. But right quick, my, my initial question though is, why wouldn't you think that so much had bubbled up inside Scotty, given your experience with, with the team back in the day? What was, was there any signs that he just, as they just didn't feel appreciated to the degree that seen it in, in these 20 odd years later? Well, you know, I think one thing that probably needs to be recognized in all this, first of all, um, Andy Thompson, Clay Thompson's uncle, shot all that footage. And he uh, he was there behind the scenes shooting it all. We were, you know, we were all talking all the time. I mean, it was an amazing season. And 
for years after, I would see Andy Thompson either at the finals or at the All-Star game, and I'd say, Andy, have you got your uh, film together yet? Because he, he had a lot of stuff. And he'd say, no. And apparently Michael was sitting on it. Uh, it, it wasn't clear. He Michael wasn't motivated to, to sign off on the footage. And then it happened all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden, here was the pandemic. And I was talking to one of the people who had an inside view today. He called me and he said, you know, in a lot of ways, that was just kind of thrown together in a hurry. Uh, you know, I think they talked to MJ over two days. It was rushed the whole thing through. And they were under a tremendous deadline. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's an excellent uh, thought-provoking series, but it's not perfect. And um, let's face it, if you're going to tell that story, and it wasn't Michael's, it wasn't the story that season so much. It, it was much more than that. It was almost Michael's biography. But if you're going to tell that story, you've got to talk and spend a lot of time with Ron Harper. And he, I'm sorry, his um, his uh, influence on those last three teams, his IQ, his the ball pressure he brought to what they did, his just his overall game and intelligence. He wasn't a high flyer any longer, but he went on to the Lakers and helped them get it together. And Ron Harper was was major. And so um, when you start leaving. And Scotty had, he had a good relationship with Ron Harper too, right? Oh, they were very close. And with good reason. They, they were uh, very smart, team-oriented people. Um, it's like Steve Kerr told me. In, um, and, and this was available to watch at the time. But Scotty was a world-class teammate. And as Steve Kerr said, that's because Scotty was human. And MJ wasn't human. And, uh, you know, the, there are teams like that. Now, not on this scale, but if you've played ball, there are certain people who are not human. And then certain others that help everything happen. You, you know what I'm saying? And in ways small and large. And um, I, the thing that disappointed me about all of it, and I know it's hard to recreate that, but just that feeling of being in that building on those game nights, whether you were on the road or you were uh, in the United Center, it didn't matter. Just you knew something was going to happen. And you knew they were going to own everybody. And just about everybody in the league was uh, intimidated, frightened. It was, um, it was an amazing thing. And then you wrap it up in all the personal stuff MJ had going on with, you know, on one hand, you got the news media and they were covering the trial about his father's murder and all those events. And the sports writers and, and, and people coming in couldn't ask him about that. You couldn't go into a sports setting. It was kind of, it was inappropriate. It was not the place he was there to talk about basketball issues. And so you would have this basketball conversation and meanwhile, he was going home and watching the news and eating himself alive over, well, you can imagine the murder of your parent. And then the 
the adjudicating of that in the courts and all the craziness that the courts bring on anything trying to sort out justice. Good luck with that a lot of times. And so the emotion in that season, and it had been building for years. I, I went there in 94 to start writing the Bulls history. I had done their championship book for the 93 championship, and I was hired by the Chicago Tribune Book Division to, to do the history. And I got in the middle. I didn't realize that I got in the middle of Krause and Phil Jackson right from the start, and there was a war starting. Nobody knew it. But there was a war starting between those two because it was time for Phil Jackson to get paid. And Jerry Krause was the kingmaker. He had brought those guys from nowhere, and now they were pushing to get paid. Phil had won three titles as a coach. And so those two, and um, I, I had supposed to get five minutes with Phil Jackson, and he gave me two hours. I used every cassette tape. I had my bag recording what he had to say. And he unloaded on Krause, and I said, whoa. And so I typed it all up, and I listed Krause. I wrote it up as a story, and I listed Krause at like 58240. And the only thing he changed about all this hard stuff he said about Krause was he marked out the 240 and wrote in 260. And Krause, of course, that, that started it all. And those guys battled behind the scenes. And, you know, oh, Krause had never been a favorite of Scotty and Michaels, particularly Michaels. And he, Krause was important in all this. He had, you know, he didn't bring MJ there. He really brought Scotty there, but he brought Phil Jackson there. He, Phil Jackson, nobody wanted to hire Phil Jackson. He wrote a book with Playboy Press about doing LSD on the beach after he and the Knicks won the 73 title in L.A. And nobody, want, you know, Phil Jackson was a goofball. And Tex Winter was a washed up retired guy. He'd been a wonderful college coach, but nobody wanted those two except Jerry Krause. And so Krause drove people crazy. He was a needy guy. And so they, the, Scotty and Michael were together in all this. And the, they ruled despite this conflict got to incredible levels. I, I knew, uh, I went in to talk to Phil Jackson Um. Uh, for a, a book I was writing, Blood on the Horns, as the season was starting. And he said, you know, Jerry Krause, and this is the kind of stuff Phil was telling me on the record. You know, Jerry Krause has this terrible need for intimacy, he told me. He said, you know, the last thing Michael likes to do before he gets on the floor is go in the back in the locker room and uh, take a dump. And, and, and it seems like, a lot of times when he's back there wanting to be alone, here comes Jerry Krause to get in a stall nearby. And the fact that Phil would be telling me this on the record indicates the level of uh, venom that was in that relationship heading into that season. And the thing the last dance left out was 
in Utah in the 97 um, finals. And Michael and Scotty, you know, they, they were winning and the bus was slow going up in the mountains to Park City. And Michael had had a couple of beers after the game and he'd be yelling, Jerry Krause, Jerry Krause from the back of the bus. And he would, you know, Michael could light up anybody. And everybody on that bus was scared of Michael's uh, sense of humor. And he'd say, Jerry Krause, Jerry Krause, let's go fishing. Don't worry. If we don't catch anything, you could just eat the bait. And he was always saying stuff like that, you know, and everybody would laugh and Krause would look around and he was mad at Phil because Phil couldn't shut Michael up. And it got really ugly. It really started to bother people, but they were afraid that if they said anything, Michael would start in on them because he could slice and dice. And so it was like, like me. It was like the most popular kid in school roasting you. Oh, yeah, and you can't do anything. Not only that, he's the most popular. He's the, he's the baddest kid at school. You know, nobody's going to mess with him. And he's funny. He says stuff that you don't want to laugh, and you're, you're But this is the team GM on the bus during the championship series. And that's why Krause came back. He was furious. And Krause came back that next year. And he said, I don't care if we go 82 and 0. This is Phil's last year. He's done. Krause came out of that playoffs and they did not get this. They did not put this in the last dance. And I have it all on the record. I mean, everything is on the record what happened. And, um, you know, it was Phil had spent forever trying to tell Jerry Krause not to be riding on the team bus. And and just like just like trying to go back in the restroom when Michael's back there, Krause just kept pushing himself. He was this needy guy and he wanted to be on that bus. He was also the sleuth. He would sneak around spying on people and stuff and he, he you know, they didn't want that. And it was um, it was a miracle they got six championships. But by the time they got to that last <laughs> that's what I that's my that's my main thing, Roland. Like the more I learn about these guys, it's like, yeah, how the hell did they win six titles with each other when there was so much friction and contempt that existed? amongst them i mean we we hear these stories a lot with your team but it's like it was it's it's so much that seemed to everybody in that organization during that on the team look roll it i got some questions i want to i want to let my guys get he was driving home to you yeah i'm sorry go ahead no 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 problem but uh chris chris start off man What, what you got Roland, I wanted to ask you uh, because I talked to the guy. I talked to these guys a couple of weeks ago, and when TNT, I don't know if they still do it, but over the summer they would do a couple of shows with um, veteran veteran guys who had retired called Open Court, right. and they had one. I don't remember what the theme of the show was because it would always have an overarching theme, but they were talking specifically about. Um, I think it was about the who they would put 
if when the NBA released their their the fifty the fifty greatest in ninety seven, they were talking about who would the next ten guys on that list be, and this was two thousand seven or so. Right. And Isaiah Thomas was on the show, and he started talking about how he got left off the Dream Team roster, and his beef was that he was okay if Michael Jordan said, okay, you know, Michael Jordan says I, I can't be on the roster. It's like, it hurts, but you get over it. Michael Jordan says that, but Scotty, like who is Scotty Pippen to say that I can't be on this roster. And a lot of these guys, I mean, it, Zeke is Zeke, he's respected, but it seems like not just in fan circles that with some former players, there's a dislike or, or, or a, or perception that Scotty is not as good as we knew him to be back then. Now, like everybody's legend fades with time, but it seems like these guys just don't think that he was anything special, you know, anything more than a good player. Well, and I wonder if that's without going to the psychological aspect, because we can't really talk about that. I wonder if that's some of what's driving him now. I'll just deal with the rules first. You know, you can't run the triangle today. They've essentially outlawed it. They cut the timeline from 10 to 8 seconds. The, the triangle's a two-guard front. you got two staggered guards. Uh, you're, you're bringing the ball up. The whole goal is to control tempo and to make sure if you've played 10 minutes of pickup ball at a, at a YMCA, you you know that whatever you do, you got to get back. That's, that's number one rule of basketball. And the triangle was built for that with that two-guard front. And so they cut the, the timeline to eight seconds. So th that staggered thing didn't work anymore. This is not my opinion. This is Tim Cohn's opinion, who won 22 championships with the triangle in the Philippines. But the other thing they did is they sh uh, cut the shot clock to 14 seconds on the offensive rebound. And all those beautiful offensive rebounds Dennis Rodman got back in the day, that, that wouldn't matter. You couldn't set up and run. You couldn't run the triangle. And that's what Phil Jackson didn't understand. Poor Derek Fisher took it on the head when he was coaching the Knicks in 2015 because the game had changed. They sped up the game to speed up scoring, and they've made a lot of money doing it. But it's a suits decision. And so all of this brilliance that was Scottie Pippen, from the defensive end to the offensive end, all of the many things, the magnificent play, night after night after night is sort of walled off in a tomb. People today watching the game couldn't fathom how it was played back then. And it was a beautiful game. Um, the current game has some beautiful moments. The, the game wasn't always beautiful back then either, but um, it's really had a lot of butt ugly moments since, <laughs> since the rules changed so dramatically. And I, I don't care what offense you run, but I think you ought to be able to run whatever offense is successful. And um, that is part of why Scotty is, and this book probably at least makes him uh, a subject we're going to talk about in talk shows everywhere for a while. But he is a forgotten man because he played in a forgotten time. And it wasn't that long ago. Uh, it, well, you know, it's 25, 26 years ago, a lot of it. But um, everything that he was, and he was magnificent. Now, he came, he went to 
college is the team manager at 6'1". Dennis Rodman didn't play high school basketball. I mean, the stories on the Bulls of, of these guys who went to Hall of Fame greatness, well, you know, all that also flies in the face of we're flying around. I've been an AAU coach. I know the thing. We're flying around kids in, in jets at 12 and 13. You know, they're, they're already on the recruiting list. And that may be good or bad. I don't know. But that wasn't the world that these guys came out of. And so Scotty had not been on scholarship his whole life. Scotty came up in pretty tough circumstances and acquitted himself well along the way. He was, as Steve Kerr said, a human being. Do you think that the do you think that there's a perception from outside? Because a lot of those guys who are on the panel, Isaiah Thomas, Shaq, Steve Smith, they played in that same era as those guys. These weren't guys coming, you know, just after with the uh, with the the rule change to open up scoring for you know backcourt guards like Nash. Was did you see any of that from from other players who came in no, at, after their that. careers? I like Isaiah. I did a lot of work with the Pistons before I did a lot of work with the Bulls. Uh, but Isaiah had his conflicts. And he ended up in, you know, the 92 Dream Team. In all honesty, Scottie Pippen was important, but the one guy they wanted was the one guy that had all the charisma and all the global following. They wanted Michael on that team. That was going to make it a huge media event if they had Michael Jordan. And the other guy they wanted was Magic Johnson. And Magic and Isaiah had had a brutal falling out. That So, the, you know, I'm not even sure Scotty needs to be involved in that conversation. Was he respected? Uh, you better believe it. I remember when the Bulls couldn't beat the Pistons. And I covered those series. And they kept trying, and Scotty was this young guy that had to grow up and get tougher. You know, he had the migraine and the, the key game in, in 90. Uh, and, and Michael said, fuck him, let him play blind. And Phil put him against Michael every day in practice. And they had to go, Scotty had to go against Michael. And that, that was just really trial by fire. But Scotty became that guy and it it blew up the nba and i remember i was the lakers went to play washington and that was the two teams that jerry krause had scouted for he'd scouted for the bullets he had been big in the signing of earl the pearl monroe and he scouted for the lakers for jerry west and so he was now the bulls this was the night spring of 91 the bulls were were blowing up. Scottie Pippen had come into his own. And I went to Washington to cover that game. I wasn't thinking about doing anything on the Bulls. And here's Jerry Krause. He had come down there to that game to the two franchises that regarded him highly. And he just hung outside the locker room just to gloat and for people to talk to him. And he was lonely out there. Nobody was talking to him, so I went over to talk to him. The reason I even remember this is because I've been working on a Magic Johnson book for three years, 
And I'm going back through all my tapes, and I, I found this tape in 91 where I'm there talking to Jerry Krause. And it's it's like uh, early April, and he's he is just full of joy. And he is so, so excited. The Bulls are playing so well. Scotty is coming to his own. And so nobody's talking to him. I said, I'm going to talk to this dude right here. Uh, and I've got some, you know, a, a pretty long one-on-one with him. And just the hopefulness and excitement in his voice to hear that. Um, and then to know how it all turned out. It, it was painful. I talked to Krauss not too long before he died. He told me, he said, I've got it all on videotape. I've got all the videotapes. I've never looked at a minute of them. This is after they won their six. And this to me is some profound shit that that you have that much success and it's that hard the feelings are that hard and um Roland, do you, do you see any people ought to treat each other better yeah, i'm sorry Roland, do you do you see any parallel between uh scotty and uh kraus Given that maybe two who think that they're misunderstood in some ways and not given as much credit as they deserve in other ways. Um, I, I just think Scotty is a well, basketball is a highly emotional game, we all know that. And hell, they were having fist fights from the very first minute they invited it in, into the YMCA back in 1891. And uh, Scotty's a very emotional player. I always admired the media around the Bulls when I got there because they wouldn't, you know, sometimes you have the view of the media going in and gouging somebody's emotions to get a story. And I always thought the media was respectful of Scotty. And, um, you know, Scotty was a guy you'd want to interview in a locker room. Uh, obviously, the, the crowd would go around Michael, and you wanted to be there for those Michael interviews. But Scotty was—he was thoughtful, and he was—he um, was a regular guy who had become somebody big. And everybody's that way, I guess. But you know, Michael had already blown it up in Carolina, and when he came, he was. Uh, he was from another planet when he hit the NBA as a rookie. Yeah, Mike. But, but Michael, 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 in in his myth making, there's you know there's the whole thing about him being cut from his high school team and all this stuff. But that was that was at a young. That was a very, very point. Like still won the championship for North Carolina as a freshman. Right, Dino, and, that's a, and, you know he, he had a fine Bobby Knight like. Yeah, I'll be not talking like Olympics, like you know, your yeah, they, people they saw nine, Jordan coming in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, they had nine or ten seniors on that varsity when Michael was a sophomore, and I think nine of them were guards. And um, sophomores in that district didn't play a lot of varsity. And Michael was never cut from anything. He just didn't make the varsity. But Pop, his uh, his coach, who went to North Carolina Central, 
Before Michael played a minute of varsity basketball, varsity. the next year for Laney High School as a junior, Pop, um, and I forget his last name. I don't want to say Gates. It may be, but I don't think so. But Pop sat down and wrote the UNC coaches and said, I've got a player here that is that is unbelievable and you're going to want to recruit him before he'd ever played a varsity game. Uh, the big disappointment in Michael's life he doesn't talk about, he was the Little League Player of the Year for North Carolina. Through two no-hitters, uh, they went with a whisker of the Little League World Series. He had a 420-foot home run in a game. In that elimination game, they lost by a run. The next year, in baseball, you know, Michael had this thing with his father. He had this fatherly disapproval thing that really rang. Uh, through his whole life, even though he and his father became very close. That that dynamic never changed. But baseball was his father's game. And the next year in Dixie League, the base paths were longer. Michael could not get off the bench. He never even made the all-star team in Dixie League, in the local Dixie League. And so he had he had – Failures that, you know, youth sports can be somewhat cruel at times. But he had failures or what he thought were failures in baseball, even before basketball. And those were humiliations that burned in him like they don't burn in other people. Now, they do burn in people. There's no question of that. But you combine well, it's, all it's of that. A mean when he makes it personal, he makes it oh. personal. It's, is everybody now after the last dance. Yeah, and that was what I started to tell you earlier. When when I was going to write about all the shit he did on the buses uh, with Krause and, and all of that, and, and, you know, he had come back. He was full of anger when he came back. His father had been murdered. He was an angry guy. That's how he punched out Steve Kerr. And, you know... Um, he, he blew the lead in his high school senior year. They didn't have a shot clock, no three-pointer. And, and Laney had like a seven-point lead with a, a minute, 90 seconds to go. And uh, Kenny Gaddison was on the other team, that he on the other uh, team going, trying to get to the state uh, quarterfinals. And Kenny told me this story that, that Michael started fouling, offensive fouls, and lost control in that game. And even though there was no shot clock, even though there were none of the things that they should have won that game easily, Michael lost that game. And when he came back in 95, I sat in Orlando and watched him lose that game. And they lost to the – magic in the 95 playoffs and all the coaches went in the locker room they got michael and they said listen this is disastrous but don't you forget tex was telling me this he came out in the hallway and told me this he said we told him you're still our guy you're still our guy because michael had been away playing baseball and um so michael would have these things and i would i, I had to sit down and ask him about 
being, I said, how am I going to ask this guy about yelling at Jerry Krause on the bus and all this stuff? Cause I gotta, I gotta get his opinion on it. And so I said, I'll talk to him about it. Like it's his team leadership. And I'll say, Michael, I hear you got a hell of a sense of humor and you will cut guys up and get all over them uh, on the bus with that team leadership thing. And he admitted to me, he said, yeah, I can be hard. I can be real hard. And that was how I got him to talk about just how harsh he was. And... He had that persona. I remember when I, I used to play a lot of pickup basketball, and they had this guy that had played college football at Bluefield State, and he would drink like a six-pack of beer and come in there and uh, at lunchtime. And, I mean, this dude was built. He was about 35. And he, he wasn't hard on an old white guy like me, but he would knock the young brothers. He was a brother. He would knock the young brothers into the wall, and he had everybody in that gym scared to death. They didn't want to confront him. They, you know, they didn't want to get hurt. But and and Michael wasn't that physical, but Michael brought that level of terror because he could humiliate you so badly, and that's one of the things he had with Kobe that that it took me years to realize when Kobe came in at 18 and he had all his veteran players at the Lakers, he could humiliate them. Uh, and, and the people at the Lakers uh, would tell me, you cannot believe how much pressure Kobe put on his older teammates. And Michael did the same thing when he got to the Bulls. All those guys, all those older players on that Bulls roster, they were, they were, they did not want to get it in practice. Opponents did not want to get it on the floor. It was, um, it was a different thing psychologically. And it took people, you know, they, they go, they're just watching a basketball game. It takes people sometimes years to decipher all of that and the psychology of it. Yeah, Roland. I'm sorry, um, I about this stuff. Forgive me. <laughs> no, no, you're good, man. It's all great stuff. Um, for me personally, um, one of the things I was to do over the pandemic when the last dance came out was talk to someone that I thought at least could have had a mention in the the in the last dance when it comes to the Bulls is Craig Hodges um, as someone that you know not only played with Jordan but especially when he talked about his uh, Jordan's relationship with Kobe you know Kirk Hodges is one of the few people that coached Kobe as well as um, played with Jordan and he played for Tex Winter in college he knew yeah. the triangle inside out. Yep, exactly. So I was wondering if you got a chance to talk about him and um, what is your viewpoint as far as you mentioned how Ron Harper should have been in the last dance. Do you think Craig Hodges should have been in the last dance? And, you know, and as far as his role with how he contributed to the early part of Jordan's first couple of championships and, this, and the relationship between them, especially when it comes to Scottie Pippen as well. Yeah, you know, um, it's not easy. And, uh, Yes, he should have been. Uh, the problem was that um, 
Yeah, it was a a series. There was a lot of tape, but um, it's hard to get on. And they were throwing this thing together. They had to, you know, they were in a rush and they interviewed Michael over two days. It was just like, and you know, every, everything was like slam bam and no time to think about it. I'm sitting here with, um, an 850 page book on Magic Johnson. I've traced his ancestors back to the 1830s. I, I want to contrast. I, I, I view um, these major figures, I view these as black power stories in, in a, cult, a large cultural sense. And I want to contrast them with all the people they came from and look at that on a, a line, a continuum. And we talked to all these people in the NBA about magic and the editors at the publishing company want me to cut the book in half. And they want me to go through and take all these people that have their stories and they want me to rewrite them in my own words and keep it real short. And so I can't, it's driving me nuts. There's no way I'm going to rewrite what these people have to say. The, the, the All the different stories about magic or why you would even bother to pick up a book like that. And so I don't want to come across as too critical about the last dance because I think it's a major thing culturally that I, I think it's important. And um, yet it's hard to get everybody. That's, that's a long answer for you, but um and it's hard to cut them out once you get them in. I mean, that my buddy George Mumford, uh, you know, the great mindfulness guru, team psychologist. He, they interviewed him, and and I was interviewed by Andy at the time. Andy shot like thirty minutes with me back in '98 during the last day of the season. But none of that's gonna, none of George's stuff made it, and George's Michael credits George with allowing him to live a life outside of hiding in his uh, hotel room. And George Mumford is a, a major mind. He's a great guy. He was Dr. J's roommate at UMass. He knows the game, everything. Um, and so not getting Craig Hodges in there, they were just – you know, they want, they're under pressure. These Hollywood guys want them to follow storyline, storyline, storyline. And they, they don't want to, you know, they, they ended up with the two dramatic stories they talked about Scotty and his family and his dramatic thing. Oh, actually three Dennis. And, you know, I'd known Dennis I, I, from his early days as a piston and his story is dramatic. And then Steve Kerr's father's murdered, you know, and Steve and Michael were the two guys on the team whose fathers had been murdered and they never had a discussion about it. Michael and Steve were not close. And um, by the time they got all those things in and told all the backstory about Michael Jordan, they probably could have used another four segments. If they had to do in retrospect, they wouldn't have rushed it like they did, maybe. 
but they've got it out when the world had nothing to do but look at the last dance. But if they had had another four segments, they yeah. might have even told a, a bigger, broader story and gotten in more and understood Jerry Krause a little bit better. I don't, you know, because I was writing that team history, I had to spend a lot of time with Krause. I remember Johnny Red Kerr coming up to me after watching me sit with Krause during practice. I'm recording him. I got my recorder there, and he's Krause is going on and on. I mean, it was torment. And Johnny Red Kerr came up laughing and said, "Man, you're going to need some therapy after talking to him for that long." And Krause was like that, you know. He's just a very needy guy, but he, in his own way, man, he was responsible for a lot of what happened. Weird way. Very much so. Very much so. <laughs> you, you gotta. Yeah, yeah, I gotta jump off, unfortunately. But Roland, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, being able to speak with you. And, thank uh, you, Chris, and thank you for the uh, the questions and observations. Thank you, guys. Always good, y'all. Y'all close it out. Hi, Chris. Hey Roland, I was wondering what you thought about this. If you thought that um, Scotty coming out with all these things that he's coming out with and in this book, do you think it will have any effect on not only his legacy, but the legacy of those championship teams he was a part of? Um, well, you know, uh, I always think that what they do is what they do on the floor. People say, okay, who's your top five or Who's, who's the number one all the time? Who's the greatest? And I say, man, I'm a writer. I'm not going to sit here. These guys go out and play 10, 12 years. They play the daggone game uh, every night. That is the, the record of what they do. I'm not going to sit here and say this guy's number three and this guy's number eight. That, I'd be a horse's ass, and I wouldn't know anyway to make that kind of diff, you know, to, to do that. Uh, and so – no, I think that I think that this publicity on the Bulls has has been fantastic, but it it generates conversations, and I think that each generation has its own heroes. Now, Michael is um, he's an epic heroic figure. Uh, in five hundred years, if they're mentioning the United States, and they um, United States, you know how it is. You might get a few paragraphs on China and, you know, a sentence on Poland or Michael's going to be in the sentence. <laughs> He's yeah. that bigger cultural figure. He yeah. is. Well, and, and these, start up. these are important things. These are not just basketball games. This is cultural Congress. Mm. This has been after hundreds of years of criminality. This is how we learn to get together and to be together and to appreciate and love one another. And I, my, my magic story is about integrating and busing in the 1970s. And magic's this incredible teenager who leads everybody in the community along and literally that happened that's not me blowing up the story this is what happened and um 
So, no, Michael and Scotty and what they did is big and uh, really big. And this makes it clear to people why they were big. Although, as good as the docuseries is, it's it's really hard to convey how special he was and how those games were different. You just didn't take all those ugly shots back then. You just, they, they would not allow that stuff. And um, I, um, I, I do think that it's painful right now, but I think ultimately that means those guys might have a chance. I don't know. I don't think. They've shared so much. I don't think they're going to sit around 500 miles away and stay pissed off at one another. I could be wrong. Jerry Krause went to his grave, and people, as they get older, uh, all of my uncles got in a fight, and they all went to their damn graves without reconciling. So people do that stuff. But um, I find it hard to believe that Michael and Scotty would. Now, Scotty's angry. He, uh, I think that book reflects his anger. When I talked to him then, he was uh, he was very respectful of Phil. Uh, you know, he, he would joke a little bit about Michael, but th- there was never any, you know, when guys don't like somebody, they'll let you know. They'll say little things and do stuff and that kind of stuff festers. That doesn't take long. There was none of that. <clears throat> you didn't have anybody saying, damn, I hate being Michael's teammate. <clears throat> Excuse me. It wasn't easy, but you didn't have anybody pissing and moaning. They were a little worried about getting accused of being one of Jerry Krause's spies or something every now and then. But it was, I, you know, it doesn't take long to remember what it's like to be in a petty locker room. And that was not a petty locker room. They were the, they were the world's greatest and they were loved all over the globe in any building they walked in people got out of the damn way. I'll tell you that. And it was a special, special feeling. And so uh, that's what was so hard for me when, when Krause said he'd never even looked at all those tapes. I do want to throw a, a curveball at you here a minute. Think about this. There's a coin flip between the Bulls and the Lakers for the number one pick in 1979. It's obviously um, going to be Magic Johnson. Could you imagine if and Magic wanted to go to Chicago? He wanted to play with Artis Gilmore. Mm. He wanted to be near his home. Could you imagine? Just think about this. If Magic had gone to the Bulls. Now, Michael might have never gotten there because the Bulls would have gotten much better in a hurry. We wouldn't know a hell of a lot about Pat Riley. He would have never coached Showtime. We'd have never had Showtime. Kareem, I I don't know what would have happened. The Lakers had a good point guard in Norm Nixon. Uh, But what would have happened in Chicago I don't know if there had ever been Phil Jackson there or even if the Bulls had been sold on, on a for a, a joke to Jerry Reinsdorf. Magic would have blown that building up. They'd have taken down all the hoxie plexiglass and people would have started watching Bulls games. And so on one coin flip, 
the entire history of basketball. We wouldn't know Phil Jackson or Pat Riley in all likelihood, two of the greatest coaches. Stan Albeck would have won 10 titles. <laughs> you might well have. Or no, Jerry Sloan was the daggone coach. Jerry Sloan was the coach? Okay, yeah. He was maybe, the coach. He maybe Jerry Sloan, yeah. yeah. And uh, Sloan was a tough guy. He would have related well. Uh, you know, Magic would have really dug uh, all of that. And uh, – I, I just was thinking about this the other day. It's funny how a coin flip changed all of history. I, you know, I think if, if Bulls fans knew they were getting Michael and all that would bring, they wouldn't have wanted to win that coin flip. Oh, he no. might, who knows? He oh, might no. end up in Houston or somewhere. <laughs> well, you talk, you talk about coin flips and decisions. Like, imagine if, you know, Houston would have took Jordan – 84. Portland didn't need to take them because they had Clyde, but even if, like, if somebody, if they was drafting today, a team drafting today probably would have took Clyde and Jordan in back-to-back years, but teams back then didn't do things like that, so it's like... No. I don't, and there was nobody in their right mind. I mean, big men were... That's how you yeah. won. There was no way you were going to pass Elijah on in that draft. Yeah, sure. And the the dependency on big men, uh, that's what leads you to take Sam Bowie, even though he had bad feet and everything. But, you know, he was great in Kentucky, but he wasn't like – he wasn't Michael Jordan. So. No, and it was so hard for pro scouts. Uh, they hated Dean Smith because the Carolina <laughs> offense was just so contained. It was such a system offense. The pro scouts never got to see what the players could do. And so they really didn't know what they were drafting most of the time because they hadn't seen if guys had the kind of skills that translated to the NBA. Mm. And it was uh, it was just very hard. And it was very hard. Uh, you, you know, uh, Anthony Tichy, who played at Wake Forest and played against Michael in high school, he, I, when I was doing Michael Jordan the Life, he told me, he said, you know, Michael never gets credit for having the character to play for Dean Smith for three years in North Carolina. North Carolina was such a tight-ass offense that you could not, you know, they lost to Bobby Knight and Steve, uh, what you call it, shooting those free throws. And Billy Packer was saying, if he had just given the ball to Michael and said, go off the dribble, they'd have, they'd have just killed Indiana. Oh, yeah, Steve Alford, yeah. You well, know, they stuck to that system. This was in the regional finals, Michael's junior year when he was last year. Wasn't that the running joke that the only person that can contain Michael Jordan was Dean? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, but uh, Tex Winter, when I would talk to him, I, I, I used to have these conversations about the difference between Michael and Kobe. And he said the difference was that Michael played three years of college ball. And that allowed him, because back then the triangle was everything. And that allowed him to run the triangle because Carolina didn't run the triangle, but Bill Guthridge was Tex Winter's point guard at Kansas State. And then Bill mm -hmm. Guthridge was Tex Winter's assistant coach for eight years running the triangle. And then he became the number two guy at Carolina. They didn't run the triangle, but they ran a system offense. And Michael was prepared to do that. 
Michael, you know, he had, he had gotten out and been able to run and play. And it was magnificent, but he, he couldn't win. And when he had to give that up and play the kind of game that won championships, he was able to do that. Kobe really struggled with that as Tech's. And, and C- Kobe would talk to me about that. And uh, Kobe wanted to be in Texas offense. That's when I introduced him to Tex. Tex was still coaching in Chicago. But Kobe didn't really have it in his heart. To, he wanted to chase the ball. He wanted to get the ball all the time. And he, he just uh, did not have the background. He went right from college to the pros, at a, you know, when it was very uh, – nobody had really done that at that level. And uh, the saddest thing that uh, Sonny Vaccaro talked to me about Kobe – you know, Kobe, Sonny Vaccaro got fired by Nike and he went to Adidas yeah. and he wanted revenge against Nike and Sonny Vaccaro wanted revenge against the NCAA and he wanted to find the greatest amateur player and pay him lots of money on a shoe deal to get him to turn pro. And he had no idea. Kobe, he had no thought it would be Kobe. But Joe brought him to one of Sonny's camps. Just Kobe was a sophomore. And Sonny Vaccaro was looking for the it factor that Michael had. Michael was dynamic. I mean, Michael lit everybody up in every room. He he was unbelievable. You you can't even put into words what his personality did to a room without trying. He just had that ability. Some people have that kind of charisma. And Kobe went there as a sophomore, got thrown in with, you know, the All-Americans, high school All-Americans, and held his own as a sophomore. And he came up and hugged Sonny Vaccaro afterward and said, Mr. Vaccaro, I wasn't the best person in this camp this year, but I promise you next year I will be. And Sonny Vaccaro said he almost fell over. <laughs> that, 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 that He knew that Kobe then had the it factor. And he started sneaking around to get Kobe. And he, he did. He got he he uh he worked it so uh, adidas got kobe and they paid him millions to turn pro nobody had ever done that and what people didn't know is that kobe's folks needed the money his father had been a pro basketball player but they lived a lavish lifestyle and so his parents badly wanted kobe to turn pro and kobe part of him wanted to you know the macho part of him but the other part he wanted to go play college ball but he he was he was bound to go to Duke, right? Yeah, and, and so the day that Sonny Vaccaro, it was like March. His his senior year wasn't even over, uh, or was had just ended like a day before. They were in New York, and Sonny brought the contract for him to sign. And Kobe looked at Sonny Vaccaro and said, "Mr. Vaccaro, is there any way I can sign this contract, and my parents can have this money?" and I can go play college ball. Because all Kobe wanted was to be the greatest. And in some ways, not going and and taking that time to play college ball and to be the man there, instead of being this kid that everybody disrespected at the Lakers. um, You know, Kobe might have really hit his goal. I don't know. Who can tell? 
But uh, he and Michael were a club of uh, two. Mm. They played in the same offense for the same coaches. And I, I, I sat down with Michael up in the rafters in Orlando at the pre-draft camp in 2008. Kobe was having his MVP season. And I, I had to talk to Michael about his life, but I want to talk to him about Kobe too. And I asked Michael, and, and you could just tell. He thought the world of Kobe, right. and he uh, he talked about it. And you, could, he, he was saying, you know, Kobe of everybody, Kobe's done the work to be like me. And you know, he said, I, I had people that lit the path for me, but Kobe has done that work. And so I, then I flew out. The Lakers were in the playoffs, and I flew out to Los Angeles. And I was sitting in a locker room, caddy corner from Kobe. He was over there tying his shoes. I said, Kobe. I've been talking to Mike about you. And he lit up like a 12-year-old kid. He went, what? What did he say about me? And it was like, it was hilarious how those two guys turned everything with that crazy offense. And, yeah. you know, they would they would have that two-guard front. One of the guards would go fill the corner, if you remember. And there'd be a, a shooter like Steve Kerr or somebody over in the corner. And that would create that unbalanced floor. And they'd have to go over and guard Steve Kerr, whoever the guard, off guard was. And Kobe and Michael would be on the backside of the defense, opposite of that. And so it was impossible with the floor spread like that. That was the whole point of the triangle. That was, of course, just the corner series. They ran a bunch of different things out of it. But you could get Kobe or Michael behind the defense, and it was just so hard to stop them with everything they could do, particularly Michael, who was just such a great post player. And then Kobe, just so determined to, to match him step for step. Pretty amazing time in sports. Yeah, definitely. I, Roller, man, you know, we could, we could talk to you all night. I, <laughs> I'll I, Run my you know, mouth for hours. <laughs> but I, 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 I may have missed this while I was having my, my technical difficulties, but I know you mentioned the magic book. Yeah. And um, at, you have a release date on that yet? Oh, man, they keep pushing that out there like tax season. I, <laughs> I, it's now 2023. I, I've, I've written it. I've just got to try to find a way to keep cutting stuff out of it. I... Uh, you know, uh, Michael's two great-great-great-grandfathers on his mother's side were born in the early 1830s. Mm. And it was really a time um, it was a time when all white people really went crazy. Now, they'd always been crazy, don't get me wrong, but they really went crazy. Uh, Nat Turner's rebellion made them crazy. And that's um, not my opinion. That's all my research and all the writing and, and all the things that began to happen. And, um, and these stories, if we connect them to what we care about now, then we got a chance to understand our history. 
stuff and to stop, just stop all the, all the games and, and just be honest about the story of this country. And so uh, I do try to cram too much in these books. But well, you, you you're definitely an educator too, Roland. I know you you spend a lot of time teaching as well, and that's one of the great uh, aspects about your work and, and your books, man. You like say you give that information that so much of so many of us you know rely on and and uh, use to provide context for these amazing lives and these amazing teams. So. We appreciate that rolled out. I was going to say, kind we, words. those are kind words. I'm glad to provide them for you. And, you know, we definitely going to have you on before that, for that book release. I was going to say, we will have you on then, but <laughs> I, I, I think next time I'll, I'll try to bring you on around the time of uh, Kobe's, uh, you know, maybe, a, you know, around the time of Kobe's and not anniversary, but right. marking of his passing. And maybe we could talk some more about him. And uh, yeah, no, you know, your your run-ins with him, and uh, you know, but uh, we we gonna move along, man. I, hey, I said, thank we could, you guys. I don't. Yeah, I want to take up too much more of your night, but you you uh, you. I'm we, an old like man. I said, we've had a great. <laughs> you guys got things to do. I'm just an old guy. <laughs> that was, yeah, we appreciate you so much. Hey, thank you for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks. And thank um, you for thinking of me. Yeah, like I say. His, his books are everywhere. If, you know, if you want to learn more about the history of basketball and what has brought the NBA to what it is today, the people who brought it to what it is today, and Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, uh, Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, and, and and so many more, read his stuff. You know, you you won't uh you won't regret it. So, Roland Lazenby, we appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you, sir. We'll no. Talk to you again soon. All right. All right. It's just great to be able to, to holler at people like that, man, and, and be able to build with them for a little bit. Uh, yeah, like I said, we'll definitely have them back on soon. Uh, like I say, maybe talk some more about Kobe. And, uh, yeah, I, I say, I, you know, I, I wish I said if I had my my stuff messing up on me as as it were I might have got to a couple more subjects and uh and with him and stuff but I wanted to get to a couple things before uh, we go off and um I guess a couple things I'm actually gonna leave probably I think maybe maybe I'll do another Twitter space thing tomorrow before the Bulls game and uh, talk about some of the things that I was looking to talk about today but uh. Right quick, though, I want to get to a couple of news items. Uh, first off, um, you know, we, like I said, we, we, we said last week we was going to keep up with uh, Marquette. And, uh, you know, Josh got his cuz on, uh, on, the, on the Golden Eagles. And, uh, you know, they got a big win against Illinois last night. And, uh, like I said, you know, we, like I said, we got uh, six points in that game, right? And, uh, you know, give, give your thoughts on that game right quick, Josh. You know, that's a big win for Marquette uh, knocking off a top-10 team in the Atlanta up in up in uh, Milwaukee there. Yeah, um, especially when you talk about the conference that they're in in the Big East where they're getting better every year um, with more top-tier talent, especially on the East Coast. Um, but it's a driving. I believe 
Um, I believe, according to the preseason polls, they're ranked more on the bottom half of the tier in their conference. So yeah. for them to be able to um, get a win like this shows that, you know, the potential to overcome the odds, especially under Shaka Smart, who we know Shaka Smart is a good coach um, that has really come up in the ranks over over his time from VHBCU to Texas. Yeah. Um, and then be able to come from come back home and bring that same intensity to Marquette. Like, watching that game really reminded me of what Shaka Smart was really about. The full-court pressure, 90-foot basketball pressure 24-7, up in your grill uh, defense, and how it correlates to – today's offense, which um, was one of the things that actually he struggled with during his time at Texas, uh, getting that offensive game flowing. And it seems like he's learned from that a little bit and transformed some of that offensive game um, to Marquette. And it showed. Um, I think the Marquette did a great job on uh, – I can't – is it Carbello? I believe his last name is, Carbello. They did a great job on him defense down the stretch uh, of that second half. Um, they did a great job defensively to, to get him to, to turn him to turn the ball over and get him out of his element, which really disrupted U of I offensively and what they like to do. Um, and you know, obviously, I got to give a shout out to my cousin uh, Cam because you know he was score some to score in a big setting like that um, in a big game, national game like that. But I think this was just yeah. a good staple win to show that you know what's going on in Marquette and them bringing home one of. Wisconsin's own and shock smart and what he brings to the table is the, it, it works and it's going to um, hopefully change the narrative or add more to the narrative of what it means to play a successful basketball at Marquette considering the history that they have. Yeah. Marquette is a proud program and, and you know, they've had some great teams there. They've had a national championship team there back in the 70s. You know, of course, that famous team that Dwayne Wade led to the Final Four. Uh, I think that was like with the O three, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, they this time they could definitely build a program there that could rival any in the nation. And Shaka Smart, like you say, he's a guy who he knows how to build programs. So you know, it's, it's you gotta have to watch out for that that marketing. You know, I'm a I'm a aligner. You know, being that Illinois Mahomes, that's the team that entered the big time college basketball. And you know, I always root for for Illinois. I think as far as their outlook, you know, for one, you gotta you know accept the fact that Kofi Kings, uh, Kofi Kingston, Kofi Colburn wasn't on the team uh, for this game. This was the third game of his three game suspension. So you know, you you sort of you sort of can you know predict that if if they had him, they would have won that game. But at the same time, like you say, Josh Marquette came came to play, and those last two uh, possessions in particular, where they Illinois both turned over the turned over the ball, in both those last possessions, it shows you how much they miss Iowa at this at this point of the season, like. Last year, Io would have had the ball in those possessions, and he wouldn't have gave up the ball. But Cabello, as gifted of a playmaker as he is, he still can get a little wild. And, you know, uh, Marquette used that against him. 
And um, you know, they they did they did what they had to do. So shout out to Marquette. I, you know, for Illinois, like I say, Illinois people probably shouldn't get too bet too down on this. It's a shot that you gotta take. But uh yeah, they, they gotta watch out for stuff like that in the future. And uh, you know, if they, if they wanna be able to build on this season and build on the success of that they had last season. So that's gonna be interesting though to see how uh these teams play in in respective uh respectively in their in their conferences and everything. And speaking of another team locally that uh could have a, a good deal of success this year and in the future, and we've seen had past success, Loyola announced today that they're moving into the Atlantic 10, moving out of the uh the Missouri Valley, which is a conference that we're all familiar with. Uh, you know, me and Drew went to SIU. Uh, Josh, you know, I know you, you got some connections with, uh, with uh, Illinois State or Bradley or something. Uh, Bradley, yeah. Uh, Bradley, Bradley yeah. runs in the family, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a Missouri Valley school. And Loyola was there for a, while, a few years. I, I have to look it up, but not too long. But Loyola seemed to be a school that's, you know, reach reaching up you know being climbing up the ladder and i think this is definitely a move where you know they they bump themselves up a little bit they they uh bigging themselves up a little bit by getting into the atlantic 10 uh more little little more you know uh bigger schools bigger you know dealing with some schools on the east coast new york area and stuff like that they made mention too in the report uh from NBC Sports Chicago, that there are a couple uh, other Jesuit schools. And, you know, you'll know what Jesuit schools are. Those, are, you know, that's what Loyola is. It's got a, this religious affiliation and uh, people who run the school. So they feel at home with those type of schools. And uh, I think uh, Fort, they mentioned Fordham, St. Joseph, and uh, St. Louis University. All Jesuits in are already in the eighteen, and those are all big city schools as well. Uh, you know, Fordham's in New York, St. Joseph's in Philly, and St. Louis, of course, is St. Louis. And um, so, when you have Loyola now in Chicago, you have that big city element, and for the conference, which they like to, you know, conferences like to have that placement in big city. Wide the piece, and uh, sort of like I say, it's a, I think it's a, it's a from what uh, from the reports of, of the details of the reports, it seems that both Loyola and the A10 are very happy with this new that's going to start next year where they're going to be playing ball in that conference. So, uh, I'm 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 interested to see it was like St. Joseph's and uh. You know Rhode Island and uh, I think VCU was in the Atlanta too. A couple others mm-hmm. uh, coming into town, seeing how they play. So, uh, you know, as far as the Missouri Valley go, uh, loyal having Loyola in the in the Valley, I, it makes it a little it, it made it a little bit more prestigious. But you know, them getting out sort of makes it a little easier for schools like SIU and stuff. But they all they bring in Belmont in the Valley for next year, 
And uh, you know, Belmont, you know, if, if anybody who who really follows college basketball knows, that's been a pretty solid mid-major program for a while now. So a little bit of, you know, uh addition and subtraction there when it comes to these conferences. But uh yeah, we'll see how those things develop. But uh, you know, big up to Loyola, big up to Drew Valentine is I think this move is another plus for him going forward. Like Drew Drew uh, Drew Valentine has a chance to really succeed at Loyola and uh, you know be like a guy who can have success there for another ten years. And being going into a bigger conference like the A10 probably helps him with it'll probably help him with recruiting and stuff. Be he could go to East Coast uh, kids and say, "Look, you're gonna play. You you could play at home." When we go, when we travel back here to the East Coast and you'll be on TV to a certain degree when we play on, you know, we'll, you'll be on TV more than, uh, you know, when we were in the Valley. So, yeah, now it's like I said, a lot of pluses involved in that. So shout out to Loyola. And um, I guess the the last thing I'm going to mention is, um, you know, they they uh, came came out with a report this afternoon about, uh, Paolo Banchero, the big uh, freshman star Duke, getting a DWI. Uh, and, you know, he was in a car with uh, Coach K's grandson, another who also has played on the team, Saverino. And, uh, you know, that's I wonder, I wonder how that's going to affect the Duke program. You know, they got this final year for Coach K and everything. Uh, Michael Saverino is the Coach K's grandson. And, uh, I guess as of now, the reports is that uh, Chero isn't going to miss, isn't going to be suspended or anything. But you know, who knows? That might could change. So uh, you know, I don't know if, if, if you know Duke. They, they may have to watch out there. You know, these are something you play with. No, not at all. And it'd be interesting to see how, um, you know, how that act is. How how did, how. The, the school or just the NCAA might react moving forward. I know mm-hmm. um, there may not any, may not be anything that's set in stone for right now or that's been determined, but I don't know, man. I don't know. Like you said, that's that's something serious, and, you know, I wonder how many other programs or other coaches around the country uh, behind closed doors be wondering what would happen if that was their program or one of their, one of their student athletes yeah. in terms of the scrutiny so we'll see yeah um it's it's it only it only aids to the narrative of what privilege really is right um depending on what could come out of this you know these are top tier talents at a top tier prestige legendary program where they may not get certain you know they may get away with certain things compared to other schools that may have dealt, dealt with this but at like a lower level and they have different consequences you know so it just it really just aids to what the conversation of privilege really is going to play in the NCAA, especially considering that the NCAA has changed or is changing so drastically because of, you know, NIL and players making uh, money off of their image and likeness and things of that sort. Um, it's yeah. It's, like, like Drew said, it's going to be very interesting to see how this, how this narrative comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last thing was, uh, we'll mention, uh, yeah, Thanks for putting us on to this earlier, Josh. Uh, Michael O'Brien of the Sun-Times tweeted earlier today that uh, Sierra Canyon, home of Bronny James and 
the young Wade and uh, what's the uh, what's the kids? Um, the kid who's oh, from here, Bailey. yeah, Amari Bailey, yeah. Uh, they're coming to Chicago to play Simeon in a big showdown. Uh, I think next February, this coming February. So uh, that's going to be a lot of hype surrounding that game on the high school level. I wonder where they're going to play that. Uh, you know, it's at, the, it's at the Pavilion. Well, Credit Union. Playing the, they're playing at Credit. Oh yeah, with the former UIC Pavilion. They are playing it, and that's yeah, that's interesting because they they're supposed to have the tournament with the 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 showcase coming up in a couple of weeks at the UIC Pavilion, or unless they uh, they haven't moved that back, have they? That's not going to be a part of that, is it? I don't think the so. Chicago, yeah. So I, I guess I think I guess it's still coming up. That's still coming up in a couple of weeks. They usually have that early December, but this is going to be a separate thing in this coming February. And of course, Sierra King gets so much attention because of you no know, Bronny James and everything. So Chicago's going to get to see them up front and I, I guess for those kids in that program that is definitely something that they saw as a chance to challenge themselves so and and, and you come you come to Chicago and you play the Chicago program essentially uh in Simeon uh man that's yeah uh, they the the Simeon kids go out to represent I don't know we I gotta we, we gotta bring somebody on we may bring uh your guy on from Julian in the next week or two, Drew, oh, yeah. uh, to talk about some high school stuff and get a sense of uh, who's you know who's going to do what in the city this year. I don't know if Simeon will be considered the best team in the city this year, but well, according to that article, they're not. Um, yeah, and I looked at the top twenty-five team in the state. So yeah, so I mean, so maybe Sierra they may be getting over a little bit. Uh, I, Drew, I, I, we gonna we gonna sign off, man. Uh, we gonna sign off. Drew got a Drew going off now, but uh, uh, okay, I couldn't I couldn't do this the right way, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, me well, me and Josh are signing off there. But yeah, like you say, yeah, you know, from the early report is that Simeon is not necessarily gonna be the top team in the city this year, uh, but. You know they got that reputation, and uh, you know like that's what that's what uh part of, big part of what Sierra come Canyon is coming in for. So we'll see how those how the the kids from Simeon do and how Sierra Canyon is doing at that point. But yeah, we we'll talk more about that when that event comes up, comes closer to that day, and you know maybe I'm trying to get up in there myself. So yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, in the meantime, though, uh, like I said, we're losing people by the second here, so we're just going to end the show. Uh, I think, I, I think, like I said, I think I'm going to go on Twitter spaces again. We had a nice little uh, Twitter space session before the Bulls uh, game on Friday. Uh, they'll be playing again tomorrow night uh, against Portland. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to try to get on just uh, – Get some people on, get you know, get some of our guys on, some people from Twitter on, and uh, talk about a couple more things that I didn't, we didn't get to tonight that I was uh, originally planning on getting to. But uh, yeah, that's it. Just a quick thing there, and uh, get people ramped up for the Bulls of Portland. But uh, Joshua, before we go off, you got anything on your else on your mind, man? 
just just be on the lookout for ITS in the scope. Uh, we had uh, Dwayne Rankin came out this past uh, week with his great insight on the sun. So I was glad that we were able to get him on this. I did uh, reach out to Sean. I got Sean coming on Thursday. We're going to do it Thursday. So uh, we should be having Sean Hyken coming. Sean Hyken, yeah. Yeah, Sean Hyken from Bleach Report. He's going to come on my show this week. So we're going to have that and have that for you. So be on the lookout for that. And, you know, just keep, keep living doing your thing, man. Uh, that's pretty much all I have. Yeah, yeah, definitely the endoscopes back in effect, uh, doing your thing there, Josh. So appreciate that. And uh, yeah, more like I say, more from us coming up with uh, I think next week we'll probably take the week off with the holiday, so we probably won't have a uh, a we probably we won't, won't likely have a show next week, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna do the Twitter space thing tomorrow. Uh, keep up with us though on uh, on war media, all our platforms, and uh, we'll like I say whatever stuff we do, writing or whatever, uh, new shows. You know, we get you know be the first to know, and uh, follow us and show us. Uh, you know, let us know what which if you like what we doing, spread the word. We appreciate every bit of word of mouth that uh, you guys give us out there. So, if uh, for the time being, we gonna sign off. My man Josh over here. Kyle Means here. Uh, follow me at Means Matters on Twitter. Uh, appreciate the new followers in the past week. And, yeah, that's it for now. I'm uh, going to watch the rest of this these games on TNT tonight. And uh, that's it. Peace out. Keep bouncing. You know, because they both sort of – they both really need it, I think. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, like I say, also tonight, we got the Bulls and the Blazers. Bulls, a lot of people filling the Bulls, a lot more people filling the Bulls coming out of the the L.A. suite. Really dominant performance against the Lakers. Some would even say that they caused uh, them to change the Staples Center name, <laughs> given their performances against the Lakers and Clippers. Uh, Crypto.com name sucks, by the way. That's – but you know you'll get used to it. But yeah, I don't know. Like I say, either 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 one of you brothers got any thoughts on the Bulls coming into tonight's game? You know, feel free to to speak up. You know, my thoughts personally uh, be it'll be interesting to see uh, how uh, they continue with success. You know, now you're you're in a spot with with this team where you know you're learning how to deal with success, and that's a big part of success is dealing with success and dealing with expectations, high, you know, higher expectations, rising expectations. So uh, let's get a request here. Steve, oh, Steve Parham. Yeah, Phil, uh, yeah. Let me see. Can, can you speak? Let me see. Yeah, Steve, can you speak? I'm on back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Are you? Oh, yeah, we go. There we go. I was saying, yeah, I got I to gotta convert to the Apple products like most of you guys, man. Uh, I got I to gotta get hip. <laughs> uh, but, 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 no, man, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how we convert. Uh, 
in desperate need of, of, of a big win. So just because to me it feels like a trap game. We're on a high right now, coming off these big victories in, in LA and like say in Portland. Portland really looking for a big win because they've been. I think they sort of struggled out the gate. So yeah. I want to see how we how we can um, you know respond to uh, to some type of adversity with with now. We're finally being looked at as the, one of the, the upper echelons of the, of, the, of the league right now. So I think that'll be interesting for us uh, in this game to see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I mean, I'm getting up the the standards. I think. Yeah, 12 Trailblazers are 7 and 8, you know, coming into this game. So, you know, they're 6 and 1 at home though. So they've been they've been maintaining that their home uh court advantage, but you know, really bad on the road. And I I'd ima- I haven't seen them much, but I'd imagine there's still a team that's struggling to defend and you know, keep, you know, keep control of games. You know, uh that's going to be an issue definitely if the, if the Bulls are hitting Tonight and doing what they what they like to do, getting them getting up the up and down the court, you know, forcing turnovers and everything, and getting in the in the transition. That's gonna be a another issue again for Portland tonight. Let's get Gabe on. What's up, Gabe? Hey, Gabe, how you doing, bro? I think he's still muted. For, let me see. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you, bro. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at Portland. Like this, this is a big game. Portland always, you know, they come with it at the uh, at the Garden. You know where they play at, and they fans always in the games, and it's always a loud, raucous environment. But yeah, it's definitely a must win for uh, Portland. Like Steve said, anytime you're getting off to a sluggish start like they are. You got Dane down. CJ's McCollum, you know, he's been playing, you know, some terrific basketball lately, shooting the ball well. But this is a big time game for them. You know, anytime you got a top team in the league coming into your building, this is a perfect opportunity for them to send a message in the West. But if you're the Bulls, you know, dealing with, you know, all these high expectations, you just got to stay, you know, even keel, not getting too high, not getting too low. Um, I feel like they definitely need to stay. You know, among the upper echelon in the Eastern Conference standings just to even have a shot at a championship because when you're talking about trying to, you know, duke it out with Milwaukee and Brooklyn, you're better off having a game seven, you know, on your home court as opposed to having to go behind enemy lines to get a dub. So, you know, as long as they just keep, you know, a strong attention to detail on the defensive end like they have been doing, guys like DeMar, you know, Zach, and, um, you know, Caruso and them, you know, they keep playing at a high level. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Gabe, I want to get your thoughts right quick, man. You know, I got the 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 Bucks and Lakers on. And, of course, you know, with ESPN, with it being an ESPN game, ESPN been force-feeding the storyline down all, all day about, you know, Milwaukee's tough start. And, you know, now, now they try to talk about, you know, how much longer – is John is going to wait and, you know, like they didn't just win a title uh, 20 games ago, you know. But, uh, right. you know, it's, it's, what, what do you think overall about the Bucks start 
And, uh, you know, whether they pull this game out tonight or what, it, it seems like you're still expecting them to contend in the East because you, you just mentioned them as being a team that the Bulls are going to have to get around. Well, I mean, when, when you're the champion until someone knocks you off, I mean, you got the belt. You, you still got to go through them um, no matter where they stand. I just think Milwaukee, you know, from top to bottom, they're still a talented team. They just need to get help. You know, they've had guys that were key cognizant of their championship run a year ago from Giannis and Drew. Um, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, all missed time, you know, either due to injuries or in Chris's case was COVID. And, um, you know, as a, as a byproduct, it's affected them and impacted them significantly at times to where they had to play smaller than what they typically do. Um, and when you have to put that out as your starting five, you know, that's that's problematic. Like, I don't think people realize, if, and I've been watching a lot of Bucks basketball the last few years. I've actually gone to games in Milwaukee on several occasions. Brooke Lopez is a big-time presence for them defensively. You know, everybody talks about what he does offensively, helping them, you know, stretch the floor. But that's a guy who, you know, defensively, everybody loves to give Giannis his credit. And, yeah, Giannis can't guard one through five. But Brooke has, does, a, you know, an excellent job of locking down the paint when you need him to. And at times, he's even stepped down and defended guards, you know, when need be. So I think he's a, a big key presence on this team that they sorely miss. And once they find a way to get him healthy, um, and you get Chris back out there with Giannis and, and Drew, who you see out there tonight, I think that they can, um, you know, go on a run where they can rip off some wins in a run before you know it. You know, they'll be back up in that top, you know, four or five within the East End. Okay. You got the distinguished brother, Brandon Pope, on with us. Brandon, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man. I, I'm watching this Bucks uh, Lakers game, too. And I'm, uh, these Lakers are mystifying. It's a mystifying enigma. And you look at the way they run offense. It's ugly. <laughs> it's really ugly. Um, they're behind right now, and they're not built to come back from behind. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not good at getting easy buckets for some reason. Uh, they don't have the shooters to help with any sort of drive and kick they could possibly do. So uh, it, it's it's looking like they got to make some major, major changes and do some soul-searching, no matter whether they beat the Bucks tonight or not. Uh to beat to have the record they do right now uh, with the talent they do, it makes no sense. I think what needs to happen is once LeBron comes back in the lineup, you may have to find a way. This is tough, but for Russell Westbrook to come off the bench as that sixth man, uh, that might be your only chance for the Lakers of uh, doing anything in the West because the Warriors are, are back. Yes, okay? indeed. The Warriors are back, so... The Western Conference, it now goes to Golden State, in my opinion. So the Lakers got to find a way to maximize because what they have right now, it's not going to take down Golden State. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like the Lakers, and and we we learned we learned so much more this week about the way that they were put together in the off season, and they just really made almost all the wrong moves. Like the Carmelo move, you know, they're showing them right now on ESPN. I think that's worked out for them. The Westbrook move, you know, they really could have took – they could have took – they really didn't need to do that because, for one, all they wound up doing is making Washington into one of the best teams in the East. And 
when you hear too about the way that they dealt with DeMar DeRozan and Caruso, those two moves alone would have probably transformed their, their team. They wound up being two of the best moves that Chicago has made in a long time. And, you know, the Bulls are almost a complete team with those guys, the backcourt at least, in their wings. So, you know, we, we got to give – we we had to send a ring out to, to Rob Palenka or something if the Bulls uh, somehow get <laughs> – you know, uh, pull pull off a championship this year, man, or, or in the next two years or so, because they they messed up. Yeah, they messed up. Absolutely, uh, man, you hit the nail on the head, especially with Demar Derozan. Um, <laughs> the the losses for the Lakers, big gains for the Bulls, and these Bulls are fun. It's, it's it's really special to watch what they're doing right now, the way they play together, the chemistry they have, and the fact that you have these guys that really love the role they're in, right? And they're playing in the role they're in. Alonzo, man, elevating his game and being a guy that can be that third option, being a guy that doesn't have to score every night, but if you need him to, he's right there to do so. Uh, they got something fun to watch right now, and I can't wait to see uh, how it progresses throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. And to add on your point, Brandon, you know, when you have Kobe White, you know, coming off, you know, his injury, guy in that second unit, being that, you know, counterbalance guard to what Caruso brings you on the defensive end, that makes you even more scary. Um, like I said, I, I've been very impressed with the Bulls, but as far as the Lakers, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I can't see Russell coming off of the bench. But I think if you could put Russell Westbrook in a role similar to what the Lakers did with Dennis Schroeder, where you have him playing as the complimentary ball handler next to LeBron, if he was willing to buy into that, I still think that they have enough time to get it together. But you're absolutely right, Brandon, when you say that the road through the West Coast through Golden State right now, they're definitely, you know, coming in, um, setting the tone, kicking in the door, letting people know that, hey, you know, we, we still are a force to be reckoned with and with a healthy clay. There's no telling what they can do and accomplish uh, this coming season. I still think Phoenix is up there as well. That Pacific Division as a whole, when you talk about you have the Warriors, you have the Suns, you have the Clippers, and then the Lakers. I mean, there's only so many spots in the Western Conference playoffs. There's only eight teams that can make it. Somebody's got to sit there. And you still got to think about the Nuggets. You still got to think about the Jazz. There's that West. You can't sleep. You really just went off that. Got a got a couple more people want to speak. We got a, a Bo uh, coming on to speak, and and our, and our girl Akina from Second City Sports. Uh, Bo, you go first, man. What, what's going on? Uh, thanks for uh, having me. Let me let me talk for a minute. You 
insight. Uh, so I like listening to you. Um, I know that uh, DeMar does a lot of the scoring with the, the bench guys, um, but now that Kobe's coming back, uh, I'm hoping he'll help out. But how do you think he'll gel with the defensive side of the bench? What do you guys think about that? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, I would hope that he finds some – you know, some influence from uh, the likes of, of Caruso and uh, Lonzo and, you know, depending on how they how he's coupled with with those guys, you know, maybe the Bulls can find much of a sort of a Golden State-like team uh, a de- perimeter a t- defensive uh, situation where, like I say, they just work as good as a unit. And I don't, I don't think – you know, Kobe's a guy who you don't you don't want to have him isolated in, in many situations where he's isolated. So maybe he could just work off of guys well enough, and other guys too, like maybe a Derrick Jones or uh, or uh, the, the Green, who's definitely who seems to do just about any little bit of everything athletically on the court. Uh, Javante, uh, so you know, I, I think he can work within that team aspect. Well, but you, you like I say you don't want him isolated with too many guys, uh, uh, uh you know, who opposing uh guards who you're gonna face. Um, I, I have a question for you guys with this whose minutes do we see dropping with Kobe trying to get back in the mix? Do we think it's Io? I mean, realistically, I have been doing a great job on on the defensive side with this group and I hate to, to, to see him start to uh, you know not give as many minutes because we have to get Kobe White back into the mix you're right Steve Io's I complicated things with his play man you know yeah. Yeah. it's an embarrassment of riches the Bulls have you know and uh, I, I, I thought I was going to say Io as well I think that too would lose some minutes there but he's just been so he's been a spark plug it's uh, Rough. All right. I think it depends on the game. I think it depends on the yeah. game and the flow of the game and how things are going. Like if you got a defensive game and you you seeking to get stops, you know, late in games, Iowa's gonna be your guy. I think if it's a night where you know Zach is struggling, or Bush doesn't have it, but Demar doesn't want those three, and you know Kobe's hot, and you know he has twenty going into like the fourth or whatever, and they might be the guy that Billy Donovan calls upon and say, hey. You know, we're going to close it out with him tonight as opposed to Iowa or whatever like that. So I think it, 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 it varies. Um, and it's going to depend on the night-to-night thing. But because I look at Kobe, Kobe to me is like the Bulls version of Lou Williams. That's your guy that you go to for instant offense when you guys are struggling. Because he was a guy that was sorely missed the other night against um, the Warriors on Friday. I thought they could have used him big time there. Even in some of those games earlier in the year with the Knicks, you know, at the house and so forth. So... I think it's gonna vary by night tonight in the gameplay. Definitely, definitely. Lakina, what's up? Gentlemen, how are you? How are you? This fine Wednesday evening in cold Chicago. <laughs> Chilling. Um, well, look, I think that's you know, look, it's, if you're Billy Donovan, that's a good spot to have, right? You have all these chess pieces to work with, and you can kind of maneuver things around. And once Kobe is back in the lineup, once once Booch is back in the lineup. He'll have a chance to kind of like move things around, you know, go small if he wants to, you know, go with mostly power forwards. And don't you guys find it a little annoying that now everybody seems to be noticing the Bulls? You got Shaq saying that the Bulls could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. You got guys <laughs> on ESPN. Some of these same guys that thought that the DeRozan signing was a bad idea. Now everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. And, and I'm like, <laughs> really? 
Some of y'all were saying that this was a bad idea. I just think it's silly. I think if you're the Bulls, I think you use that as Bulls and more material. I think you just give them the side eye and just keep doing what y'all are doing. And, you know, hopefully you can kind of keep keep it going. And hopefully, you know, in the East that, you know, and, and look, I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying that they can win the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that yet, but I think it could definitely be right up there in the four, in the top four or five. Yeah, they, they, they gotten off to really as good a start as you could hope for. And, you know, hope like I say, hopefully this will be a good sign of things to come. Hopefully there won't be any any freak occurrences or injuries or anything, and they can keep going as they've been going. We got another request here. Oh, we got D want to want to get in. What's going on, D? Can you hear me, cuz? What's up? Hearing y'all break down great bulls uh, talk right now, but I, I, I feel bad because I feel like I'm going to be a bearer of bad news. Like, I'm very excited about what the bulls are doing right now. Uh, coming out hot, uh, defensively look good, obviously putting up points. DeMar's doing his thing. Zach Lonzo Ball is running the one. I'm very, uh, very grateful that Caruso is now with Chicago Bulls instead of Los Angeles Lakers. But there's two things that's really concerning me right now with this team. One, they dig themselves into some typically some pretty big holes they have to dig, they have to then, you know, say kind of figure some way to kind of come back out. Now as early in the season, the team is still kind of gelling. Other team is kind of, you know, other teams are gelling as well. So they've been able to pull themselves out of these kind of deep holes, 14, 15 point deficits, and boom, they have these great four quarters. That's one thing that does kind of concern me. I know they have, you know, saying up there in defense and the steals is there in Caruso, but the, the holes they dig themselves into was just it's troubling for me. Second thing is that front line is, I'm sorry, it's, I ain't gonna say it's garbage. <laughs> it's not trash, but it ain't good right now. It could it could use an upgrade. It could it could use yeah, a, an injection, an injection right. of talent. Yeah, they they need some help up front. Now Vooch is he was just coming out of it. And boom, he gets COVID, so he's in a protocol, the safety protocols. So hopefully, you know, saying he's good with that. Nobody wants anybody here to get COVID. But they gotta do something about their front line. Bradley, he had his chance, I believe. I mean, he still has it. Obviously, uh, Donovan's gonna keep putting him out there, but he hasn't shown up. We ain't really need him. So I, like Kokina said, I think they could probably go far, maybe the fourth or fifth seed. But I think the detriment is gonna be definitely in their front court. And if they keep dropping into these big holes, how to dig themselves out of, when it comes to the playoff time, that's going to be a lot harder to do. So those are only two things I'm saying is worrying the team right now. But you got you got to be all realistic, D. Come on, man. You, 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 <laughs> I'm a very bad news cause. Oh, hey, man, listen, I'm a diable, man. You know that, man. But, man, that's, that's the only thing that kind of will. Well, what, what, I, what I'll say to that is that, yeah, definitely I would like to see the Bulls tend to the thinness of the front court. I think Bradley is a decent enough rotation guy. He's not a guy you necessarily want to start. And um, But, you know, I think – and I definitely agree with you on their tendency to slide out of games or slide, you know, lose quarters and stuff. They still haven't shown that they could put together a consistent four quarters – you know, consistently like, but, but what they, what they, they did sort of do that in the last two games. I think I was going to say that. Yeah. Especially the Lakers game. Yeah. Yeah. See, the one thing with the Lakers game, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Yeah. 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 Ye
I'm not really sold on right now. One, you know, you don't have LeBron. And two, they, they're not really a good team. I, mean, I didn't even really like the makeup of that team when they first constructed it. The bigger win to me is the Clippers win. That yes, was well, that, yeah, that was a much more competitive game. game, yeah. Yes, that was a much more competitive game. And I saw them work that game from start to finish, and they was able to really kind of flow with the game and then put them away finally. That right. was the most impressive win to me so far this season. Right. I agree with you. Yeah, because they was hot. And, you know, they, they was one of like, stepping straight going to that. And I don't, exactly. think that, I don't think they had lost a game all month until that moment. But, see, one thing I'm going to say about, you know, what you talk about with the Bulls and the, and the lack of size in the front court, yeah, that's definitely a glaring concern. But one thing about being one of the top teams, if you go into, you know, the trade deadline with a top four seed, you can make a move. You know, you can hit the buyout strike. You can make a trade. Sure. I think they can get a win. You know, I, I alluded to this. With Kyle and the guys on running with one couple weeks ago, a guy like Daniel House Jr. could be a, a, a perfect fit here. You know, you're looking at Houston right now with the worst record in the league. He's a guy that's seeking to get a new contract. You know, if they can't agree to terms on something, I'm pretty sure they can seek to move him, you know, somewhere where a contender could use him, a 3 and D guy, provide you with size, especially in the absence of Pat Will, you know, who may not be back into you know, midway through the playoffs, if at all. So, and then you can also get a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, you know, off the buyout market, who helps you stretch the floor. You know, granted, his defense could be a concern, and, you know, with all the injuries and whatnot, whether or not his lateral movement is up to par, still remains to be seen. But he's a guy that's a veteran, been there, done that, and he could definitely be a nice backup besides Vooch. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to see someone like, I actually like to see someone like Boogie come on. The team just to shake it up. Like it, there may be a point this season where the Bulls need a little shaking up, and if that's the case, you know, bring somebody like that in and see what type of spark they could provide, scoring wise at least. It, 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 you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of diagnosing something before it happens. So you know, but you know, like like D is like D said, we, we're, we're all sort of cautious as Bulls fans. I spoke to this too on on, the, on our Running with War show. Like you, you wait for a time where the other shoe drops with this team, and it's like they can't play this well the entire season. But there's a lot of reason to feel good about this team, and a lot of reason to expect that they can continue on this sort of path where they, you know, we we don't have to settle for the playing game at this point. We can really feel that look, this is a team that. If they do what they got to do, if, if like I said, if everything goes well for them health-wise and everything, they should be hosting a play. They should have home court advantage at least in one playoff series. And, you know, that'll be very meaningful to go from what they were last year and what they were in the previous seasons to to this. You know, that's going to be very meaningful. But uh, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a start to sign off. If any If anybody wants to say anything right quick, you know, raise your hand. But uh, you know the game about to come on, so I you know I ain't gonna uh let y'all I ain't gonna hang, have y'all hanging on. We could all watch the game and see what we think, and uh you know check us out on Running with War. Uh you know pretty much after the holiday, we probably we won't be on before the holiday, but after the holiday we'll come back with some new episodes and uh, talk about what's going on. Uh, Bucks pull out the win against the Lakers, so uh we'll we'll it'll be more uh. You know, more of the sky is falling coverage for the Lakers probably tomorrow. We'll see how soon LeBron can come back because they desperately need him. But uh, for now, the Bucks uh, got a got a big win at home, and Giannis is, you know, he's not leaving yet, folks. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes up in Milwaukee. But uh, appreciate all y'all for joining 
uh, joining this space, man. Keep watching us, uh, following us. War Media is our is our platform. W A R R Media. You can follow that on Twitter. Uh, you know, if you want to follow me, you know, you you'll get to notices of what all that we do as well. Uh, our new shows and stuff, running with war, all the all the other stuff that we do. You see on my my uh, my Abby Monday Night Means. That's a show I do every Monday. So uh, you know, yeah, just kick it with us, man. That's what we do all the time. People like Gabe, people like Lakina, Demons, uh, you know, speak all the time with us, and they give us good stuff. Appreciate the support, everybody. Brandon, appreciate you, Steve. Appreciate you, and uh, yeah, everybody. Bo, yeah, Bo, what's up, man? Appreciate you. Hope to see you around some more. Uh, yeah, enjoy the game, y'all. Enjoy uh, your evenings, and uh, we'll uh, talk to y'all soon, man. All right.